0: Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Colossians. Let's go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. You'll notice the, the topic this morning, carnality or Christ. And it's interesting, if you understand the will of God in our own hearts, that God gives us free will. We have a free will to choose. We want to be evil. We can be evil we want to be holy and righteous unto the Lord, then that is our choice. Nobody can force you into the kingdom of God. Nobody can force you unto salvation. But it's a choice that we make. We're free moral agents, and God has placed that choice. And so Paul comes to this portion now And he's going to speak about carnality, the things of the flesh, the things of the world. Now, we are Christian. He's speaking to the church at Colossae. They are Christian. And he tells them concerning their carnal state. When you study the book of 1 Corinthians, they they were a very carnal people. In fact, Paul spoke of them as carnal Christians if there is such a word. Because you come to Christ, you're supposed to leave carnality behind. But so many times it's so easy that it creeps back in uh, to our own fellowship, our own walk with God. And so Paul is going to use two terms this morning. And he's going to say in one hand, put off the soiled garment. Put off the garments of the flesh. And then he's going to say, put on now the garment of righteousness. Put on the garment of faith. And so again, we have a choice. Now, as we come to the uh, middle portion uh, of the writing to the Colossians, in chapter 1, Paul spoke of the preeminence of Christ, that Jesus is before creation, that Jesus is the ultimate, that he is number one. That he had a hand even in creation. And we know we speak of this preeminence. Uh, In chapter 2, we spoke about that he is in the Godhead bodily. We will seek Christ. And so now we come to this next section. And Paul deals with carnality. Now It's interesting. In the first two chapters, there were also uh, groups that Paul came against. They were coming and undermining the teachings of Paul. There were the Gnostics at the time in the early church. Gnosticism is still here in the church today. Gnostics basically believed salvation uh, was through knowledge. And they denied the deity of Christ. There are those uh, today thinking that their knowledge is their salvation. Paul also dealt with the philosophers at the time. And the philosophers came in with enticing words, flowery speech. And then Paul spoke about the Judaizers, a Jewish group that believed in the salvation of Christ. But then they began to lay trips on people. Listen, you need to go back to your circumcision. You need to go back to your meat laws and your dairy laws. You need to go back to the Sabbath worship, uh, festival, uh, new moon festival worships. And so all of these things, that they were additives to the Word of God. And basically, Paul comes to one conclusion. We are free in Christ. Nobody should ever put a trip on you. In fact, when somebody says, listen, Jesus is fine, but then they say Jesus plus, question that. Because we are free in Christ. And so now this carnality, we're free in Christ. What do you want to do? You want to remain carnal? You want to chase carnality? Or do you want to serve God? That's what he's telling uh, the church at Colossae. And we have a choice. Now let's begin here. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ is, Speaking about the heavenly place, he sits at the right hand of God. Now, when you begin a verse, and we see this word, if, it's a conditional word. The condition is here, if you are saved, if you are born again of the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian this morning, then seek what is above. Seek the things that God has for you. Seek the things of his word. Seek the things in the heavenly place as Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Now this right hand of God, it's an expression. It's a metaphor that he uses. We know that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. Now it's sad because uh, basically we have those, maybe you're this morning, you're a left-handed person. But if you look at our society, you look at our world, and it's a right-handed world. You go up to a water fountain, and we used to turn the knobs, and you turn it with your right hand. And the lefty has to reach over and, and turn it with his left hand or learn how to use his right hand. And so it's part of our life. But here, you know, God's not against left-handed people, obviously. But it says here that he sits at the right hand of God. Let me give you two verses. In the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verse 6. Let me read it to you. Your right hand, O Lord, has become a glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy into pieces. The right hand of God. In the New Testament... In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, you understand what's going on here, the separation of the goats and the sheep. Listen to what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. This is that separation of the goats and the sheep. As I was preparing this study, the right hand of God, I clicked it into my PC study Bible. There's 154 references of the right hand of God. If you're taking notes, I want you to just take down these real quick. When we speak of the right hand of God, I'd like for you to look these up when you get home. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56. The book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 34. The book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 12. And the conclusion, there's so many more. But 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 22. The right hand of God. So look at verse 1 again. If then you were raised with Christ. You were raised with Christ because you're dead to sin now. And because he rose again from the dead, so do you. It's a spiritual thing that takes place in my life and in your life. If you were raised with Christ, then seek those things above. Seek those things of Christ. Look at verse 2. He goes right into it. Set your mind, Christian, on the things above, not on the things of the earth. But let's take it further. Set your mind, set your heart, set your very soul on the things of Christ and the things above, not the things of the world. You see, Jesus said, we are in the world, but we're not part of the world. In all reality, the world has nothing to offer me. The world has nothing to offer you. And yet here, Paul's giving you a choice. He gives it to the church at Colossae. But what about us this morning? Choose carnality or choose Christ. And so I want you to turn to a passage with me go to the book of Romans chapter 6. Now, when you get to Romans chapter 6, I want to read to you verses 11 and 12, but leave a marker there, because then we're going to go right to verse 3 of Colossians chapter 3, and then I'm going to make reference again uh, to Romans chapter 6. But set your mind on the things above, not the things of this world. Why? Because You have been raised in Christ. That means we have been now dead to sin. That's why we're raised in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 verse 11. Paul says, Likewise also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you, should not, uh, that you should obey it in its lust. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the sinful heart, the sinful nature. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. I have accepted Christ. But carnality's there. The devil always will raise his ugly head. And we're challenged. We must make a decision. Shall I run from sin or shall I dabble back into sin? And so Paul says here to the church at Rome, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead. The word reckon in the Greek is take into account now, church. Take into account now, Christian. You belong to Christ. Let that old man die. Let that old woman die once and for all. Take into your account that you're dead to that sin nature. If you're a true Christian, you're a true believer in Christ, you're born again of the Holy Spirit, born again from above, then we have come to change. We spoke about the word reconciled. We're changed in Christ. Set your heart now. Set your mind. Set your very soul on the things that are above not the things that are of the world. When I came to saving grace, when you came to saving grace, the Bible says we're justified, just like we never sinned because I'm washed now in the blood of the Lamb. To be justified means that you're separated. In fact, the scriptures call us the separated ones. We're separated from the world, we're separated from sin, and now, listen, consecrated unto God. But so many times it's so easy to dabble back into the things of the world, the appetites of the world. Now, leave a marker there. Go to verse 3. And he says, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The word dead here, you died. You're out of commission to sin. Sin should not have any attraction to you, but yet the sin nature's there. The world's there. And the appetites are there. And we're so easily drawn in. It's like the carrot that's placed before the horse or the donkey. And we so easily want it. And we see that sin nature. And if we run with the wrong crowds, we see what they're doing. And we want to desire those things. And so Paul says, for you died... And your life is hidden now with Christ in God. And again, let's make a reference again. If I'm Christian, you're Christian. I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. We just declared you're dead to sin, dead to the world, dead to the earthly pleasures, dead to your flesh nature. But now, listen, our lives are hidden in Christ, in God. That word hidden is strong. Means you're concealed in Jesus Christ. I've come to saving grace. You're covered in Jesus Christ. I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. I like this translation. The word hidden, I am secure now in Jesus Christ. You are secure now in Jesus Christ. To me, that speaks about the grace of God. Even though I have a sin nature, you have a sin nature, but I am secure in Christ Jesus. Before I came to Christ, before you came to Christ, I was hidden in sin. I was concealed, I was covered, I was secure in my sin nature. You see, when we were in sin, we enjoyed sin. Sin was pleasurable. We did sin because we liked sin. But until sin was pointed out to us, then now we should detest sin. We should no longer desire anything part of sin. And yet I'm still a flesh man. You're still a flesh woman. And those things are there. And sometimes we have to run from them. But listen to this commentary. says we are now hidden treasures in Christ Jesus for his good pleasure. We were once spiritually and in some cases physically dead in our sin. But now he has hidden us, or in other words, preserved us. We are alive spiritually and physically in Christ Jesus. We have eternal life in him. Now you should still be there in the book of Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 8 with me. and am just going to kind of tie it up, which we read earlier. In verse 8, Romans 6 Now, we died with Christ. We believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now, death has no dominion over me. Sin has no dominion over me. But yet, I will dabble back in it. And that's where the grace of God comes in. I have eternal life in Christ. Look at verse 10. For the the death that he died, speaking of Christ, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, Jesus lives it now unto God. So do we. You see, Jesus died on the cross for me. And so my sins were nailed on that cross once and for all. I have been set free. You have been set free. And once again, look at verse 11. We just shared it earlier. Likewise, you also reckon or take into your spiritual account in Jesus Christ, yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but you're alive in God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, church, you should desire to be dead to sin. You should, be, you should desire to be dead to the world, but alive unto Christ. I've shared this with you many times, and I'll share it again. If you've been a Christian for a time, you should know when you sin. Because the Holy Spirit is there to convict me. Now I've been a Christian for a long time, and I've been in ministry for a long time. And so conviction comes very quick to me. And when I do something wrong, the Holy Spirit's there to tell me. And if the Holy Spirit happens to miss it, my wife will let me know. Some of you likewise. But reckon that old man dead once and for all. I thank the Lord for his grace. Now, let's go back to our text. Look at verse uh, 4 now. Because we're dead to sin and we're living for Christ. Notice the promise that he gives to us. When Christ, in verse 4, who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, this body of mine, this body of yours, it's temporal. In fact, it's fleshly. But one day, this body's going to be gone. And I am promised a new body. You see, I can't enter heaven with this body. Neither can you. This body's corrupt. This body's sinful. Oh, yes, I'm saved. Oh, I have come under the blood. But I can't enter the heavenly place now with this body. We shared in our bulletin, uh, we're grieving right now, but at the same time rejoicing. Because our sister Belinda has died, but has gone to be with the Lord. And that's glorious. In fact, the memorial service, it's just to commemorate her life will give her testimony but the memorial service is about Christ the preaching will be about Christ's love and the Holy Spirit's desire is to reach the living that is lost and so notice here again when Christ who is our life appears this is at the second coming Then you also, the church, will appear with him in glory. Let me give you a few verses. In Matthew chapter 17, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes up to the mountain Peter, James, and John. And there, right before their very eyes, Jesus shows them the future. Jesus appears on the Mount of Transfiguration in his glorified body. And then Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and they see these three in their glory. And what Jesus is showing is this is what's going to happen to you. Now, these two verses are precious. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus speaks about at the end of the tribulation. He says, Christ will return from heaven at the conclusion of the tribulation. And so it is so precious. We're going to see it further. Turn with me now to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. We're going to see Christ on a white horse at the second coming. We're going to see another group coming with him. It's called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We have been in heaven up to this point for a seven year span. I believe that the church will be raptured out. There will be those that are saved during the time of the tribulation. But the time will come that we will return to earth with Christ at the conclusion of the seven years of tribulation, but we will come in glorified bodies. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. Now, a lot of my friends that were, you know, fighters in the world and now no longer fighting in Christ, and they're looking forward to it. Man, when we get back with Jesus, I'm, I'm going to fight for him. And in all reality, we won't have to because the battle will already be won. Look at it as we read Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Verse 13 goes on. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. We know that Jesus is the Word. We know that he's called the Logos. Go back to John chapter 1, the gospel. Go back to 1 John chapter 1. And again, the Logos became flesh. Look at verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. That's the church, the body of Christ. But we can't do it with this body. We will put on a glorified body. Hey, and we're going to recognize each other. Whoa, Pastor Bob, look at your new body. Whoa, a lot skinnier than I thought. (laughs) Praise God, that's what I'm waiting for. But look at verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp o- a sword, that with it he could strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. That's the beauty in his first coming. As Messiah, uh, the church was looking uh, for a Messiah to come to rule against Rome with an iron fist. But they missed it. According to the prophecies in Isaiah, Jesus came in his first coming to die. As a meek lamb. Notice in verse 15 again. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. That's the end of the tribulation period. And he himself treads the winepresses of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Final judgment. The world will be judged. In verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name. Notice it's capitalized. And it's written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so again, church, in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Look at the promises that Paul was sharing uh, with the church at Colossae. And then we read that these glorified bodies now are going to return with Christ at the end of the tribulation. Let's continue in our text. Look at verse 5, Colossians 3. And he's going to go into this segment now. Put to death, put out a commission. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on this earth. And he speaks of the sin nature that we once were. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, even evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so we're looking at the topic this morning. Carnality or Christ? And God will never force us. I'm a Christian now. You're a Christian now. But I still have to make that choice because I live in this world. And so do I choose carnality or do I choose to live for Christ? So Paul here in verse 5, put to death, Put out of commission that carnal state. Choose to to serve Christ. Put to death. We spoke about that word, mortify. Mortify the King James. Kill it once and for all. Put to death the flesh. You have died with Christ. In Colossians 3, verse 3 again, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Bible teaches that we have As a true believer in Christ, we have the spiritual power. We have the spiritual authority to kill the the flesh. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Back in Genesis chapter 39, Joseph had to run from sin. Potiphar's wife, she had planned to lie with him sexually. The Bible says that she had a hole of his garment. She had released all of the servants. It was only uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. But The Bible says that Joseph chose to run from sin. The Bible says that his garment stayed in her hands. And literally he ran naked uh, from sins. Vine's Dictionary says in the Greek, we have the authority uh, to make dead that flesh, that sin that worldly lust. The Bible says to resist the devil and he will flee. And sometimes we have to be like Joseph. We have to run from sin. Now my appetites of the world were drinking and gambling and the sale of drugs. And so I did all these things at the bar. And when I came to saving grace, I had to make a choice. Well, I'm going to go back to the bar and minister to the guys. I tried that. It doesn't work. Well, I'm going to go back to the bar and just have a Coke. I'm just going to have a a soda and a hamburger. It doesn't work. The guys begin to entice you. And you have to be careful. And sooner or later, you have to say, no, I'm going to make a choice. I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to do that. If sexual sin was your problem, you find yourself alone with a girl. Oh, let's go, you know, over here to the dam and Messiah and let's go in my van and we're gonna park there under the moonlight and we're gonna pray. Uh, be careful. Some of you have been there. It starts off with prayer and then, oh, baby, I love you. That sin nature's there. Ardridge and Gingrich, in their uh, translation of the Greek, put to death, listen, once and for all, all that which is earthly. Put it to death, man. Let it go. Listen, I'd like to go up to the dam with you, but it's not going to work. And if you do want to go, well, take six more people. Surround yourself. But don't tempt uh, uh, your own flesh because we're weak. We're vulnerable. Put to death. We have the authority through the Holy Spirit in us to kill the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We just read Romans chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Reckon that old man, that old woman dead once and for all. Take it into the spiritual account. These things are dead. And then he speaks of some of our sin nature. Verse 5 again. Put to death fornication. It speaks of sexual sin outside of marriage. Put to death uncleanness. And it speaks of all uh, sexually uh, sins. It's not just fornication, not just adultery, but anything that's sexual sin. Put to death passions. Listen, passions of lust, passions of evil desires. Put to death covetousness, covetousness that leads to idolatry, false god worship, image worship. And see, we can boast, some of us, well, I don't worship images anymore. But be careful. Remember what we shared anything that takes the place of God becomes my idol of worship. Be careful. And so we all have them. And so again, therefore put to death the members of the earth, these fleshly desires, and he speaks of them. Look at verse 6 now. Because of these things, if we continue in the sins of the world, Because of these sins, the sins natures, uh, the things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. You see, I'm not set for the wrath of God. But if we don't come to Christ, the wrath of God will come to me, will come to you. Now, if I'm a Christian, but I'm still dabbling in the flesh, I'm going to heap upon myself judgments be careful if we choose not to change oh i've accepted jesus but i can get away with certain things you see we can plan things i'm going to sin friday night i'm going to sin saturday night because i'm going to be in church sunday morning and i'll confess my sins be careful with that logic it will catch up to you if we choose not to obey If we continue in the lust of the world, the pride of life, we heap upon our own heads the wrath of God that is to come. Notice that he speaks about the sin, or excuse me, the sons of disobedience. This was a term that was given to the fallen angels. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians now. Chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. The sons of disobedience again. They followed the fall of Lucifer. Back in Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer fell. He chose to, uh, it's called the five I wills of Lucifer. Pride is what took him down. And then we read in Revelation chapter 12 that the great dragon, which is Lucifer, Satan himself, he took a third of the stars. These were a third of the angels. These are called the fallen angels or the sons of disobedience. They chose. They had a free will just like us. They chose to follow Lucifer. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 1. And you he made alive. He's speaking to the church again. Who were dead in trespasses and sins our B.C. days. In verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, uh, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, And verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath as others. The word wrath here, uh, the anger of the Lord that is to come. You see, a just God must judge sin. Now, when you and I stand before God, we're justified. Just like we never sinned because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our names are written in the book of life. But those that are not washed in the blood of the Lamb, those whose names are not written in the book of life, they will face judgment. And that judgment is coming. And so many try to, well, uh, it's not going to come in my time. I'll have the opportunity uh, to repent. I pray and I hope that you do. But why wait so long? You know, I was frustrated that I came to Saving Grace at a late age. I saw a bunch of young people in our church that were, were coming to Saving Grace, and I used to get so mad. Lord, why don't you save me when I was a teen? Lord, why don't you tell me about your, your son? And I would hear it in my own heart. I told you over and over, but you would not listen. You see, the older we get, the more hard-headed we get. And we don't want to listen to what the Word of God has to say. But notice verse 2 again. We're still in Ephesians. In which you once walked according to the course of the world. The word course here is the age of of the current world system then and still today. The sons of disobedience are those in unbelief, are those that are in disbelief, are those that basically are the nonbeliever. And yet we've come to saving grace. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 7 in Colossians chapter 3, in which you yourselves once walked. We walked that course of this world. He says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, Paul reminds us of our BC days before Christ. And Paul himself, there's about five times in the New Testament of his testimony. And I think Paul did that as a witness to others. But he also did that as a witness to himself. Sometimes we need to be reminded what we came out of. Sometimes we need to be reminded what God has taken us out of the miry pit. And so in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And our BC days consisted, and I'm just going to choose some of the sins. It consisted of lying, of cheating, of gossip, of stealing, of fornication, idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God became an idol in my life. Oh, it's so important to to see that. In one of my commentaries of Warren Worsby, when he came to verse 7, he gave a little illustration by proclaiming a story that uh, once happened in his church. A writer, he writes of of a pastor who preached a series on the sins of the world to his congregation after several Sundays uh, that he shared. And you know some of those messages. You've been to a church where uh, we're going to share for the next few Sundays on the sins of the world. And so the first Sunday you're okay, but now the pastor's into part two, part three, part four, and you know, part eight. Now you say, wait a minute, that's enough. Let's move on. Well, a gentleman came up to him after one of the services. And said to the pastor, should not those messages that you've been sharing be more appropriate for the lost? And the pastor, he said, well, the gentleman said, after all, the sin in the life of the Christian is much different than the sin of the lost. And here's what the pastor responded. And he replied, you're correct. Because sometimes the sins in the church are worse, are worse. And you know why, church? Because we know better. We've been taught the word. We read the word. Didn't Jesus say concerning the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, they were ready to stone her. And Jesus says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. In that passage, Jesus stoops down The Middle East was good at that. We used to write on the floor uh, of the dirt all the time when we played football. Okay, you go this way, you go that way, and I'm going to go this way. The Bible says that Jesus stooped down and he wrote with his finger. All these guys had stones. They were going to kill her. We don't know what he wrote, but she was a prostitute. She was the woman of the night. Did Jesus write? And he sees over there, oh, Levi. Levi. Levi, you're going to meet her at 2 o'clock. Oh, over here. John, oh, you're going to meet her at 4 o'clock. Well, whatever he said to them, whatever he wrote, they began to drop their stones one at a time. And so Jesus says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. The gentleman from the church, pastor, you've been sharing that message too long. We don't need to hear that. We're Christians. Maybe you do, because sometimes the church is a greater sinner. Look at verse 8 with me. But now, you yourselves are to put off these things. And so Paul comes back to that word put off. And he's going to use this, but he's going to use it in two different manners. Number one, put off. And then secondly, put on. Now, the terminology that he's using here uh, in the Greek is to put off, put away, lay aside. But it was a garment term. And so he says, put off the soiled garment. Put off that garment of sin. And he explains these sins. Put off the sin of anger. Put off the sin of wrath. Put off the sin of malice. Put off the sin of blasphemy. And here's one that has always spoke to my heart as a Christian. Put off filthy language that comes out of your mouth. You see, Paul was speaking to a group then. But these same type of sins are evident even today. Put away anger. This anger... Is the anger that leads to vengeance? Put it away. Wrath here. Put wrath away. Wrath that brings you to the place of indignation. Anger that's aroused. You see, as Christians, I can get angry. As Christians, you you can get angry. You see, this computer up here, it doesn't forget. Oh, I'm saved. I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. But you do something to me, and I store it, and I'm waiting. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to do it. But then I find myself at Kmart, and I'm waiting. I don't know you're going to be at Kmart. So two rows ahead of me, I see you pull up. And I go, oh, Lord, thank you that you brought them. And I just finished drinking my soda. It's in a Coke bottle. <gasps> Lord, you want me to put it behind their tires, don't you? And see, we conjure these things up. Oops, they backed up. Oh, I'm sorry. Christians are notorious for that. Wrath, indignation, arouse uh, to, to complete anger, malice. Put away malice. Listen to the translation. Put away evil doing. Put away wickedness. And here's one. Put away blasphemy. Blasphemy is speaking evil against God. And the things of God. We hear the term GD. We hear it at work. We hear it at school. It should be an offense to you. And now here's a pet peeve of mine. Because I worked 16 years in the machine shops. And cursing was just a way of life. And so I came to Christ. And it was a challenge for me. Put away filthy language from your mouth. Listen to the translation. Put away vile communication. Put away vile conversation. I, I don't understand the logic of Christians that curse. It's an oxymoron to me. How can you be a Christian and how can you curse? Guys, don't raise your hand, but you're a Christian, and you haven't cursed for a long time. And all of a sudden, you're building a little box for your wife, and you got a hammer and nail, and you're hitting pretty good. And then all of a sudden, you're distracted, and you hit your thumb. What's going to come out of your mouth? Oh, praise God, hallelujah. Look at that thumb, all bloody. No, you want to curse, and you want to get mad. And then you look around. Some of you have done it, huh? Turn with me to the book of James. Oh, and I read James years ago. Such conviction. James chapter three. Now, in James chapter three, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter, but James speaks about this unruly tongue. He says, we put up a bit in, in the horse's mouth. It's called a bridle, and we can control that beast, that animal. Some horses weigh up to 1,000 pounds to 1,500 pounds, and we can control them. You know what a Clydesdale is, right? They can control a Clydesdale. He says the, the ship, this huge ship, and you've got a little rudder, and you can control that ship. Oh, but the tongue, it's uncontrollable. It's unruly. It'll snap at the very next phrase. And so listen to what James says here. James chapter 3, verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. This Greek word, deadly poison, it's bearing venom from a, a, a viper. Verse 9, with this tongue, with this mouth, we bless our God and the Father, and with it we also curse men, we, he says, who have been made in, in the likeness of God, the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth, look at verse 10, comes the proceeding blessing and cursing. But my brother, these things ought not to be so. I come to church and I worship God. The worship team so beautifully was taking us through worship this morning. The words are written down. You're worshiping God, oh Lord, we love you. And then you leave. And with the same mouth, we we curse a guy because he cut in front of me. We go up to Walmart, and uh, I'm just ready to take the parking spot, and here comes a little Volkswagen. And you're ready to curse. Ah, some of you pointing to people. I see that. Oh, God bless you, brother. Take the parking. No, that's not me. That's not you. That's a Volkswagen. I got a 4x4. Push them out of the way in the name of Jesus, right? Look at verse 11 and 12. He makes the comparisons. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Thus, no spring yields both salt, fresh, salt water, and fresh water. Church, I sing praises to God. I come in and I see the brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord, sister. Praise the Lord, brother. But then outside of the walls of the church, the sanctity of a brother or sister in Christ I can so easily curse. Tomorrow at work, you're around the water cooler and they're telling obscene things and you join in? It ought not be. And that's why we have the choice. Carnality or Christ. Oh, and you're going to get rattled. I would not put up with the jokes at, at work. They used to say foul things. I was part of that. But I made a choice to follow Jesus. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 9. Then he takes it to another level. I'm not into fornication. I'm not into adultery. But listen to this. Do not lie one to another. Oh, Lord, why did you put that in there? Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, do not lie one to another. And so I asked the, the question, do Christians lie? Well, I don't think we, we know the answer because Paul puts it in here. Here he says in the Greek, do not deceive one another since you have put off the old man, the old garment, the old woman, the old garment with his or her deeds. Since you're a Christian. You should have laid aside the soil garments of the world, the soil garments of lying, the sin nature of the world. It's easy to get into a lie. Man, I've told my kids, don't be lying. Dad, everybody does it. They understand. But you're not everybody. You're part of the church. You're the body of Christ. Husbands, your wife, you know, she asks you, did you catch any fish? Oh, yeah, lots of them. But I gave them all away. Be careful. Tell her the truth. What was the biggest one? Oh, man, the biggest one. That's why I didn't bring it. I couldn't fit it in the truck. (laughs) We're lying. Be careful with these lies. Look at verse 10 now. So he says, put off the old garment. But now he says and have put on the new man who is renowned or renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. As Christians now, put on the new garment of righteousness. Put on the new garment of holiness. Remember that God has renewed or changed us to a new man, a new woman. In the understanding of the likeness of God through Christ Jesus, who created us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Bible says that when I come to Christ, when you come to Christ, I am a new creation in Christ. He transforms me. He changes me. We are changed. We're a new creation. Why should we desire again to put that soil garment? Husbands, I don't know if you've worked on your car recently. Maybe some of you like to do the mechanic thing. And maybe at home you have a certain garb that you put on. You might have a jumpsuit, and you only use it when you're going to work on the vehicle. Change a tire, change the oil, change a spark plug. Nowadays you can't change a spark plug like we used to in the old days. But you're done now. And you take off that soiled garment. Pair of sweats, a sweatshirt. That's the only thing you use it for. And you go inside and you take your shower and you're all clean. And then your wife says, let's go get a bite to eat. You say, okay, I'm going to go back and put the soil garment. No, you're not. It would be ridiculous. Well, that's what he's trying to say. You have taken off that soil garment. Put on the new man. Put on the garment of righteousness. And then in verse 11, he brings us to the place of who God saves. And we might not be some of these groups that were very notable in the New Testament early church. But God saved you. God saved me. We are a mixed group. Even here this morning, but listen to what he says. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian a Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. In the new man, in this new life, in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. There's no difference in the kingdom of God between Jew and Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Now, listen to this word. There's no difference to the barbarian. The barbarian was considered uh, those that were illiterate, those, those that couldn't speak properly. And so they would dub them the barbarians. These are, are the people, when they speak, it sounds like bar, bar, bar. They were the bar, bar people. And they looked down at them. Remember when they said of Peter, this is that Galilean. The Galilean speech was the lesser. And, you know, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they spoke the excellent Hebrew. But look at this word here. There is no Scythian. Now, these Scythians were a mixed breed of nomads. They were various races. And we know that the Jews frowned on Samaritans because they were a mixed breed. But these Scythians, they were people that scalped their enemies. But as I was doing some research, not only would they scalp their enemy, but they would dry out the head, and they would take the skull, and they would make cups out of them for drinking. Well, the beauty is God was saving some of these Praise the Lord. Imagine going into the church service and a Cynthian sits next to you and you go, whoa. <laughs> I've had coffee this morning. But he's saved now. She's saved now. Ah, oh, praise the Lord. Be careful when we judge uh, the outward book. When God sees the inward man, he sees the heart. Now we're going to come to the conclusion. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Who's the elect of God? The true church, the body of Christ, the holy ones, the saints, those that were set apart, the beloved ones, those that had come uh, to the agape love of Christ. Put on tender mercies, he says right here. Put on the garment of righteousness, right living for God. Now, if you have a King James, the tender mercies is translated the bowels of mercy. We don't use the word bowels very much, but the Greeks were noted for that. It spoke of the deep gut area. The Greeks believed that your true feelings came deep down from your bowel area, the depths of your stomach. The best translation is you're asking somebody, and they're coming, they don't know how to respond. And you say, give me your gut feeling on this. This is what the Greeks were saying. This bowel area, tender mercies. Let kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering come from the depth of your very soul. I like this. You're a true Christian. Now put these on, put these garments of righteousness and look at verse 13. This is a powerful, powerful book or, or scripture. Bearing with one another, and underline this, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do the same. You see, I don't have a problem in forgiving, but this computer doesn't let it go. I don't forgive. I forgive, that is, but I don't forget. I remember, and you remember. And we have to be very careful. You see, if we have put on Christ... We have rejected carnality. We need to bear with one another. The word to bear with one another, endure each other, put up with each other, forgive each other, rescue them, deliver them, grant them favor, grant them pardon, grant them kindness, even though they've done you wrong. Not just I forgive you. But I forgive you, and I want to forget about it. Didn't Jesus forgive us? Didn't Jesus forgive all of my sins? And so that's putting on righteousness. Now, be careful, church, because sometimes there are those out there that want to take advantage of my goodness, of my kindness. We've been ripped off here at the church Some of you have been taken advantage. So, do I give up on the next person that comes up and maybe gives me their story? Recently, we got a phone call here. Uh, There was a brother that was in the Midwest and he was coming to Las Cruces and he couldn't get here. He calls us and the story lines up. The story sounded so good. All he needed was 50, 60 bucks to get on the bus. Well, we sent the money. He says he was going to come by, he was going to see us, and he was going to thank us. He was going to become part of the church. We never seen him. That's happened before. But we gave, listen, out of the goodness of our hearts. But God calls us to have wisdom. God calls us to have discernment. I want you to listen to this verse. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, I will send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You know, I often looked at that verse to be wise as a serpent. And then we said in James that uh, the poison of a, a serpent can kill you see, the serpent is, is very wise. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent was there. We look today, the serpent is still here. We live in this southwest, the high desert. You most likely run into snake, or, or you run into the, you know, uh, the snake skin. I've seen that in my own house there, moving the wood from one place to another. You get to the bottom of the pile, and there are snake skins there. And you go, whoa, when did that happen? Be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. We need to reach out to people. And we need to not hold grudges. If I have put on the new man, the new woman, if I have put on righteousness, if God has forgiven me, can't I forgive others? Our church has been here for a time. And in years back, We've had people that have attacked me personally, our leadership, and our church. And in some cases, even my family. You're always going to run into that. Years go by. We hear of things that have been said, and we just have to let it go. And you say, Lord, forgive them. Lord, I have forgiven them. And then lo and behold, this has happened in our church. Years later, somebody comes up and says, so-and-so wants to come back to the church. What's your first reaction? No. But you know what God has done in your life? They're asking for a reason. And we return with the statement, you're welcome. Come on back. And in some cases, they have. And we have forgiven them. And they have been repentant. It's not easy. It takes a man of God. It takes a woman of God. And then some in the church that were still here all this time. And they see them coming back. How can you take them back, Pastor Bob? I go, because Jesus would take them back. Jesus would take them back. Look at the things I've done. Look at the things you've done. And he's taken us back. Can't we say... I forgive you. It's under the blood. I have put on righteousness, holiness. Oh, it's beautiful when we come to that place. Maybe you're here this morning and there's somebody you haven't forgiven. Maybe it's a family member. I've seen where brothers don't speak to each other. Sisters don't speak to each other. God forbid, but I've seen where a son doesn't speak to his mom or to his dad. Oh, man. <laughs> Call him up and tell him you love him. Call him up and tell the mom, dad, brother, sister, forgive me, because Christ has. Oh, I'll tell you what, that takes a man of God. It takes a woman of God. It takes somebody that has put on righteousness Because, again, my nature, I want to put the Pepsi-Cola bottle under your tire. Oops, praise God, it broke. That's our nature. Put on righteousness. Put off carnality. We have a choice. We're going to still deal with this. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, this morning, you spoke to my heart, and I know you spoke to many hearts here this morning. And with every eye closed, every head bowed, maybe you're here today, and you haven't given your life to Christ. You're still dabbling in carnality. Or maybe you're so backslidden. You gave your life to Christ years ago, but you're so backslidden. Carnality is all about you. It's not about Christ. And you need to get right with God. So if you've never have accepted Christ, today is the day of your salvation. Or if you're so backslidden, today's the day that you come back to your first love, which is Christ. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come up. But right there where you're at, raise your hand. I want to say a quick prayer with you. Anybody here this morning would like to receive Christ? I see your hand way in the back. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Would like to either receive Christ this morning or rededicate that life this morning. Anybody here this morning. Praise the Lord. If that sweet lady is the only one, let's pray for her. Uh, Father, we're so grateful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, this morning we pray for this beautiful saint. Lord, if she's coming to Christ for the first time or if she's repenting a second time. She's backslidden. She's coming back to her first love. Lord, whatever it might be, you know her heart. You know her situation. Right now, Lord, forgive her. Cleanse her. Wash her, Lord. Make her afresh. Make her anew in Christ Jesus. Lord, that she would put on the garment of righteousness and holiness and to serve you and to follow Jesus. Lord, bless your people as they've come this morning. Lord, we pray at this time for the offerings. Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us and wash us now. Bless the offerings, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and we all agree by saying amen. Amen.